Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. bless our time this morning as we look at his word. Father, we've been blessed this morning by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in praise to you. We've been celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We've been blessed by having our children lead out in worship and sing. Lord, we are so blessed to be your people. And Lord, as we look at your word this morning, we look at the subject of joy. And Lord, I know that many of us may not have joy in our hearts this morning. Or maybe it's a confusing thing to think about, and we talk a lot about it at Christmas time, joy, joy to the world. I pray that today as we look at your word, we would truly understand what it means to have the joy of the Lord as our strength. So Jesus, would you glorify yourself this morning through the preaching of your word that we might have eyes to see your glory, ears to hear your truth, and hearts ready to respond. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody at Psalm 16 this morning? I'm going to light the first two now. I didn't want to light them earlier with these kids up here because that would have been dangerous. Maybe. So, let's make sure this thing gets lit there. Psalm 16. Well, it was Christmas morning in 1978. And I woke up, and my brother woke up, and we were excited to see there, out of the box, ready for us to play with, the Death Star from Star Wars. It was the most awesome Christmas I can Remember, the action figures were there. It was ready to go. The Death Star was that gift, and it was a joyous time. Now, in 1982, we had another joyous Christmas. We got to spend that Christmas at Disney World and Epcot Center, and I got a tape recorder that year. Now, some of you may not even remember what a tape recorder was, and so I was so excited to get that in 1982. Now, a lot of you know that my youngest son, Zachary, has a rare chromosome disorder that gives him severe developmental disabilities. And he loves toys. And a few Christmases back, we got him a Buzz Lightyear toy. And you cannot imagine the pure, unadulterated joy on that boy's face when Buzz Lightyear came out of the package and started speaking and lighting up. I've never seen Zachary that excited to get a gift. It was pure unadulterated joy on that little boy's face. And he still plays with Buzz Lightyear, and it's an awesome toy. And so joy. Christmas is definitely a time of joy. And this is the third Sunday of Advent. Advent just simply is Latin for coming. We celebrate the coming of Christ to be born, and we anticipate his second coming. And so the third candle of Advent is called the joy candle. 
It's often called the shepherd's candle. And the reason why it's called the shepherd's candle is because of what the angels announced to the shepherds. In Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The angels announced a message of great joy. Now, in the original language, it's the word mega. Mega joy for all the peoples that Christ is born. So, this morning, we light the shepherd's candle, the third candle, the joy candle of Advent. And I'm just going to ask if we can bring the house lights up just a little bit more. There we go. Now, it brings up a question, joy. Joy to the world, joy candle. What, what is joy? What is joy? I think it's pretty hard to put our finger on. I think we know what it is when we don't have it. But let me give you my best attempt to give a definition of joy. Joy, biblically, is a deep-seated, deeply-seated sense of contentment and peace regardless of the circumstances that are going on in your life, where you count on God's power to be God for you no matter what. And so if we're not careful, what we can do is we can confuse joy with fleeting happiness. You see, happiness does depend upon our circumstances. We're happy when things are going well. We're sad when things are not going well. And we can have kind of a fake joy, which is really no joy at all. It's a momentary happiness. It's a temporary pleasure. It's a fading satisfaction. So as we study this passage today, we need to ask a question. What is joy? Where do I find that joy? And where do I have a misplaced joy? Maybe I have joy in the wrong place or a false joy, if there's such a thing. So Psalm 16 is a psalm of David. Actually, it's a miktum of David. And don't ask me what a miktum is because nobody really knows. It's a miktum. Here we go. Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. 
For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is a psalm of confidence in the Lord that David writes. And we don't know the actual historical situation of what's going on in David's life as he's writing this. But the overall thrust of the passage is joy. That theme of joy is repeated. So let me just ask you a very important question that this psalm answers. This is the question for this morning. Do you have a confident joy in Christ alone, both for your present, your present situation, and for your future? What's going on right now and your future? Do you have a confident joy in Christ? So we need to evaluate our hearts this morning and see if we truly have joy in the Lord. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. We're called, we're commanded to have joy, to rejoice. And so this psalm leads us to ask five questions. Five questions that I'm going to ask all of us this morning, myself as well, to, to diagnose our hearts, to see where is our joy. What is joy? Where's our joy? Can we have joy this Christmas season? So here's the first question. It's in verses 1 and 2. First, is God your ultimate source of security? Is God your ultimate source of security? Notice what David says. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. God is my refuge. God is my stronghold. God is my sense of security. And notice what he says in verse 2. He makes this very powerful confession. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I have no good apart from what God alone is for me. Interesting, in the original language, when you study the Hebrew, that word good literally means that which brings joy, that which satisfies. I have no joy apart from you. In other words, what David is saying here is that there's nothing else that gives me security. There's nothing else that satisfies my soul. There's nothing else that's my refuge besides Christ, God. I have no good apart from him. I came across this verse this week as I was just doing some reading, and it, it's an interesting verse because it ties these two things together, joy and God's goodness. Deuteronomy 26, 11. You shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. Now let's just stop and think about that. This past year, think about all the good that God has given to you and your house. Have you rejoiced in that? Have you counted those blessings? Have you given God praise? Jesus says in Matthew 16, 26, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Well, what does it profit? What good is it? 
What good is it, Jesus is saying, if you, if you get the whole world but yet lose your soul? What good is it if you get fame and fortune and popularity and riches and prestige and all the things that the world elevates? If you get all those things and you let use your, lose your soul, what good is it? Here's the problem. Where do most people find their security? What do most people ultimately want? They want the good that comes from gaining the whole world. James 1.17 says this, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good comes to you from God. So what's the opposite of finding your security in God? What's the opposite of finding your joy in God? Okay, trying to find that security in a spouse, a child, a job, a friend, a career, a sport, a dream vacation, your retirement, your grandkids. Now, those things aren't bad. God blesses you with those good things. The problem is, is when we find ultimate security in those things and those people that God has given us as good and we elevate them above God. They will never fully satisfy you the way God does. They will never ultimately give you the security your heart desires the way God does. They will at times let you down. So, can you truly say this morning, I have no good thing apart from Jesus Christ, my Lord. Everything else pales in comparison to the security and the joy that I find in God alone. So where's your security this morning? Where's your confidence? Wherever you place your confidence, that's what's going to bring you joy. If your security and confidence is in something besides God, it may bring you happiness. It may bring you temporary pleasure, but it's not going to bring you lasting joy if it's not Christ alone. Second question to ask this morning, and this is in verses 3 and 4. Second, do you run after false, quote-unquote, gods to satisfy you? Do you run after false gods? Do you run after idols? Now, just a side note. David says in verse 3, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. What David's saying there is, I really enjoy being around God's people. I really enjoy my church family. Being around other believers in Christ bring me great joy. And so there's, there's the sense that we get joy out of the friendships and the fellowships we have with other believers. But notice the warning he has in verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Literally, when you run after, you're running anxiously. You're running quickly. If you run after another God besides God, what does David say is going to happen to you? He says your sorrows will multiply. But here's the problem. You and I don't think like that, do we? We think just the opposite. What do we think? If we follow our hearts, if we follow our own path, if we put God on the back burner, and basically if we do what we want to do, what do we think to ourselves? I'm going to have more joy. 
I'm going to have more pleasure. I'm going to have more time to myself if I just put these things above God and elevate these things above God. These things will give me joy. And what David says is the exact opposite. These things will increase or multiply your sorrows. You get exactly the opposite. When you run after idols, when you run after things to try to satisfy you, you may think that they're going to bring you joy, but what they bring you is sorrow. They bring you heartache. They bring you pain. So do you run after Jesus? Do you run after his glory? Or do you try to fill that void in your heart with cheap substitutes that you think are going to bring you joy, but only going to bring you temporary happiness? What are you running after? What are you putting your security in? Is it Christ? What are you running after? Is it Christ? Third question to ask this morning. We see this in verses 5 and 6. Do you trust in what you have accumulated or in God alone? What you've accumulated, what you've been blessed with, what you have. Notice what David says there. Verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. And then in verse 6, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. What's he saying there? I've got a lot of land. I got a lot of property. I've got a great inheritance waiting for me. God has blessed me materially with a lot of things. I am financially and physically blessed beyond all measure. But notice what David says. Does David trust in what he's accumulated? Does David even trust in the things that God has blessed him with? What does he say in verse 5? The Lord is my chosen portion. The Lord is who I put my joy in. You see, when we trust in what we have, possessions, money, houses, boats, things, here's the problem. God does bless us. And some of us, he's blessed very, very well. And you can get to the point where you begin to elevate those things that God's blessed you with above God, who's the one who's blessed you. In other words, you, you elevate the gift above the giver of the gift. Yes, God blesses us, but he blesses us not so that we can trust in what we've accumulated or our stuff, but to say, the Lord is my portion, the Lord is my trust, the Lord is what I gain joy in. Billy Bob Harrell was a preacher back in 1997. He was also a, uh, he worked at Home Depot. And back in 1997, this preacher won the Texas lottery. $31 million to be exact is what he won. So he obviously left his job at Home Depot. Nothing wrong with that. My son works there. Some of you do work there. He bought a ranch, six homes, a bunch of new cars. And yet, he ended up divorcing his wife losing everything and going bankrupt and committed suicide. And right before he committed suicide, he, it was recorded that he said this to his friends, winning the lottery is the worst thing that ever happened to me. 
few years ago, a young girl, Callie Rogers from England. She was 16 years old when she won the UK lottery, $3 million in, in, in England. So she, as a 16-year-old, spent money on vacations, home, shopping, plastic surgery. Six years later, as a 22-year-old, she wasted it all, and she's a single mother who works as a maid to try to make ends meet, trying to pay off the debt that she accumulated. And here's what she said about winning the lottery. She says, my life is in shambles, and hopefully now it is all gone. I can find some happiness. It's brought me nothing but unhappiness. It's ruined my life. Go do a Google search of people that have won the lottery, and you will find this story over and over again, how it's destroyed their lives and their marriages. Money and possessions never ultimately satisfy. That's why Paul says, and Mickey, Mickey read this earlier during our time of confession, Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You can get excited about gifts. There's nothing wrong with that. You can get excited about a dream vacation. There's nothing wrong with that. Or a new car or a new home or a new boat or a new game system or a new toy or, or some new thing. There's nothing wrong with having material possessions that God has blessed you with. But those things will never give you joy. Are you like Paul that says, I consider a loss of all things compared with the joy knowing Christ is my Lord. Or as David would say here in verse 5, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my stability. The Lord is my refuge. The Lord is what, the Lord is the ultimate source of my joy, my strength, my blessing. Okay, fourth question. Do you seek God's guidance who alone provides you stability in your life? Do you seek God's guidance? And he alone provides stability. We see this in verses 7 and 8. Notice what David says in verse 7. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night, my heart also instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Notice David here, he's saying, I'm seeking the Lord. I'm setting the Lord before my face. I'm seeking his counsel. Go back and read 1 Samuel. All through the life of David, it says over and over again, David inquired of the Lord. David inquired of the Lord. David's always wanting to seek the face of the Lord. And he says, I, I put the Lord before me always. I will not be shaken. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I will not be shaken. You see, you seek the counsel of the Lord when you obey His Word, when you read His Word, when you pray, when you seek His face. And when that happens, you have stability in your lives. When the storms of life batter against you, when the, the pains of life come at you, when the struggles and trials and tribulations of life come against you, you're not going to be shaken. You're going to be stable. Why? Because you have joy in the Lord, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Remember, joy doesn't depend on your circumstances. 
happiness does. And so when the trials of life come at you, if you're just basing things upon your feelings and upon happiness, when bad things happen to you, you're not going to be joyful or, or because it's based upon your circumstances. You're really happy when things are going well, and you're really sad and depressed when things are going bad. Here's true joy, regardless of what's going on. You could be going through the worst of circumstances. The joy of the Lord is still your strength. The joy of the Lord means you won't be shaken. His right hand is protecting you because you're seeking his counsel. You're seeking his joy. Many of you are familiar with Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, she was the husband of Jim Elliot. She died back in 2016, but you're probably familiar with the story. Back in 1956, her husband Jim Elliot and his missionary friends were trying to reach the Aka Indians, the Aka tribe in Ecuador. And after numerous attempts to try to reach them and to make contact with them, they were all speared to death and killed there on the beach. And their little daughter, Elizabeth Elliot and Jim's daughter, was 10 months old. And Elizabeth Elliot at that point could have said, I'm packing up and going back to America. This is dangerous for my 10-month-old daughter. But she decided to stay there two more years as a missionary loving the tribe members who killed her husband. She could have been bitter. She could have been defeated. She could have been a very crusty old widow, young widow, says, forget this, I'm going back to America. But during the storms of life and the loss of her husband, she chose the joy of the Lord. And this is one of her statements, one of the quotes from Elizabeth Elliot. She went on to write many books, and this is one of her quotes. She says this, Everything, if given to God, can become your gateway to joy. Everything, if you give it to God, it can become your gateway to joy. But see, what's our temptation? When things get tough, what do we tend to do? When things get tough and, and we, we, we don't want to seek God's counsel, we want to go with our gut, we want to go with our instincts, we want to try to fix things, we want to try to put God on the, the back burner and, and char our own path. And, and we may give lip service to wanting God's guidance, but, but ultimately we want to call the shots. I want to guide my own life. I want to trust in what I can accomplish. And David says, listen, if you trust in your counsel and you trust in your ability and you trust... You trust you being in charge? That's never going to bring you joy. You will never, hear me very careful here, you will never experience joy in your life if you're in charge of your life. You'll never find joy if you're prideful and strong and you never rely upon Jesus and seek his counsel. And then when the storms of life come against you, you can say, he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken because the joy of the Lord is my strength. Okay, fifth question, do you fear death or do you have confidence in your future? David begins to contemplate all the ways God's been good to him, all the ways God has blessed him, God's been his refuge, God's given him instruction, God has taken care of him. And then notice what he says there in verse 9. You see this in verses 9 and 10. He says, therefore, therefore, kind of bringing it to a conclusion here, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My whole being rejoices. I, I'm ultimately joyful. 
My flesh also dwells secure. Why? Verse 10, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Sheol is just the grave. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, to the grave, or let your Holy One see corruption. What does David know? I don't think he knows the full implications of this because it's the Old Testament, but I think David knows this. The grave is not the end. It's not just that you die and that's the end. There's going to be a resurrection one day. There's going to be heaven. There's going to be the glory of the Lord. And so David's not fearful where he goes after he dies. But let me just say this. If you fear death, you will never have true joy. Because if you fear death, you're always plagued by by worry, despair, because some people just, they're fearful of death because they don't know what happens. They don't know what happens after they die. David knows he will experience the joy of heaven. I've been at the bedside of many Christians who were staring death in the face. And I can't tell you how many times I've been amazed at the confident joy they have in knowing that they're going to heaven. There's a confidence there. And you ask them, are you ready? Pastorally, you you sit at their bedside, and one of the things you say is, are you ready to see Jesus? Are you ready to go? Yes, I'm ready. There's a confidence. There's a joy. There's, there's, There's this peace that comes over them that they know. They're not afraid of death. They know their future. Do you know where you will go after you die? Do you you fear death or do you have confidence that you'll see Jesus in heaven? Those who have the joy of the Lord as their strength don't fear death because we know what waits us on the other side. Verse 11, David brings the entire song to its glorious conclusion. You Make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You make known to me the path of life. Well, what's the path of life that God has made known to David? Well, according to this particular psalm, the path of life is living a life that trusts in the Lord, a life that finds joy in the Lord, a life that's confident in the Lord, a life that seeks the counsel of the Lord, the satisfaction in the Lord. I mean, Jesus is not only just the path of life, Jesus is our life. Notice what Jesus says in John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The path of life is the life of a believer walking in the joy of the Lord. But notice what he says there. In your presence, literally before your face, in your presence right now, there's fullness of joy. There is fullness of joy in God's presence right now. And there is something waiting for us in the future. What does he say? At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. From the right hand of God, that hand of grace, that hand of protection, 
David says, we have pleasures evermore. So we have the joy of the Lord is our strength right now. We have fullness of joy right now. And then awaiting us in heaven, we have God's pleasures. That's an interesting word there. The pleasure, the joy, the satisfaction of being eternally with our Savior. Think about it this way. God's right hand is never empty. His right hand is there to protect you. His right hand is there to hold you. His right hand is there to bless you. His right hand is there to give you joy. Notice how many times the psalmist says, your right hand is the hand of power, the hand of grace. God's joy has never run out. It's very similar to what Psalm 73, 25 through 26 says, Whom I have I in heaven but you, and there's nothing on earth I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now the only way you can experience joy this Christmas is because of Jesus. The children came and they sang about a birthday for a king and how Jesus was born in Bethlehem to be Savior of the world. And, and he grew up and lived a perfect life that none of us could ever live. And then he died on the cross bearing our sin taking the punishment we deserved, and then after three days of being in the tomb, he rose again as king of kings. Now, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is vitally important because both Peter and Paul quote this psalm when they preach about Jesus' resurrection. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter stands up to preach the first Christian sermon and 3,000 people get saved, what does Peter preach? He quotes Psalm 16, verse 10. Psalm 16, verse 10. Listen to what Peter says in Acts 2, 29-32. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption, that Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Christ's body was not abandoned to the grave. It did not see corruption. It did not rot there in the grave. David's, all of, our, all of our bodies are going to rot in the grave. Jesus is the only body that didn't rot in the grave because three days later he rose again. Paul also says this too. He quotes Psalm 16 in Acts 13, 35-37. Therefore he says in another psalm, You will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Okay, Pastor Sean, I'm not tracking with you. You're talking about resurrection. You're supposed to wait till Easter to talk about the resurrection. It's Christmas. It's about the birth of Jesus, not his resurrection. Wait till April. Then you can, you can talk about the resurrection. Then we just want to hear about the birth. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Yes, Jesus was born. Yes, Jesus lived a perfect life. Yes, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And yes, Jesus rose from the dead. 
So let's not wait until Easter to celebrate the resurrection. Because your joy will come not only in the birth of Christ, but in the death of Christ and in the resurrection of Christ. So let me just ask the question again. Do you have a confident joy? Confident joy. In Christ alone. Both for your present situation of what's happening right now and do you have the joy for the future of what awaits you? And if you do not, if you do not have that joy and you do not have the, the assurance of that future and you don't know where you're going after you die and you don't know if you've ever actually trusted Jesus Christ for salvation, then what better day than today than to confess that sin, to cry out to Jesus and ask him to save you from your sins and he will do that. And he will grant you forgiveness and he will grant you eternal life. You must believe that Jesus not only was born in Bethlehem, but he died on the cross and he rose again and he's coming back. And he's the only source of joy. Now there may be some of you here this morning, <coughs> excuse me, that have already trusted Christ for salvation. You've already made that commitment to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But you know in your heart, you're just thinking to yourself and you're and you're sensing this Christmas, you know what, I don't have joy. I don't have joy. I'm kind of bitter. I'm kind of fearful. I'm kind of anxious. I'm kind of unsure. I'm unsettled. I don't have joy. The joy of the Lord is not my strength. I don't have the joy. Then what do you do? Do you go to, over to Walmart and say, hey, can I have five packets of joy? Do you kind of just muster it within yourself and say, well, I really better, I hope I can muster up enough joy. What do you do? Very simple. Very, very simple. But, but so profound. You ask for it. You ask Jesus for it. You ask Jesus to fill you with his joy. His right hand is never empty. He will give it to you. Listen to what Jesus said in John 15, 11. These are the words of Jesus. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy, Jesus, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Is the joy of Jesus in you? And is your joy full this Christmas? If not, ask the one that can give it to you, the one that will never let you down, the one whose right hand is never empty. Ask Jesus to fill you with his joy, and he will. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Thank you so much that you are a gracious, good, heavenly Father. And at your right hand are fullnesses of joy, pleasures evermore. You never run out of a supply of joy to give us. The problem is, is that we seek for joy in other places that we're not supposed to be seeking that joy in. And they may be good places, Lord. It may be in our, our spouse, our family, a job, things that you've blessed us with. But if we, if we look to those things as ultimate sources of joy, we'll always be disappointed. So help us to put our confidence in you, Jesus. Help us to put our trust in you. Help us to not fear death, but know what awaits us. Help us to have a confident joy. And Lord, if there's, if there's anybody here today that doesn't have the joy of the Lord as their strength, would you bless them with that? 
Jesus, you gave us a promise that we would have your joy in us and our joy would be full. So we ask for that joy. We know it's one of the fruit of the Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we need you to produce it within us. And so we can't produce the joy. We can't um, manufacture the joy. We can't somehow muster up the joy. It's got to be a gift given to us. And all we need to do is cry out and ask. So Lord, give us joy. Let your joy be our strength. Let us walk out of this place with that confidence to know that you're at our right hand. I will not be shaken. My whole being rejoices in Christ. Lord, I know for many, Christmas time can be a difficult season. It can be a season of grief, a season of loss, a season of memories, a, a season of pain. I just, in meeting with people even this week, there's, there's those that have lost a loved one in the past year, and it's going to be a very difficult time, and be very difficult to have joy. But Lord, I pray that you'd minister to all of us and give us the joy of the Lord as our strength. A deep joy, a lasting joy, a powerful joy. May we go out of this place with confidence that you're our God, that you'll never leave us or forsake us, that we will not be shaken. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory.